This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on DailyFaceOff.com. Welcome to episode 225 of the DFO Rundown brought to you by Botano. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. The game starts now with Botano.ca. And of course, the uh, NHL Stanley Cup final now moving to uh, Florida where the Panthers are in a must-win situation in game three. I'm sorry. You lose game three, it's over. Game two, I thought was a must-win for them as uh, Frank Saravalli joins us. uh, That's a pretty sick Philadelphia Phillies kind of zipper hoodie you got going on there. Yeah, repping the Phils. The Phils have not uh, not been very good this year, so they need to turn it around. No. By the way, the uh, the game tonight, this is a, a Western Canada staple, but tonight's game was smoked out because of the wildfires that uh, have blown into the northeastern U.S. from eastern Canada. So the Phillies game tonight postponed first time in Phillies history due to poor air quality. Well, I, the Yankees game, I think the uh, the same thing. And it's, you know it's, what, it's mayhem out there. Like it's you guys are like you've seen it and you're used to it. So like you're nodding when I say this, but the sky is like red. Oh, it's gross. And hate it. all you smell is smoke. Yeah, it's awful, dude. Like it's um the uh, <laughs> We don't even want to get into it, but yeah, it's a big issue. And, uh, you know, air current and airflow, just imagine being somebody who's living like you're that, that fire is going in Quebec right now and it's impacting all the way to New York. Imagine the people that are living right there. It's awful. Like gross. Can you play golf in this? Like I, I would never attempt it, but could you like see the ball? Um, maybe, but it's more about the air quality, man. Like a 10 air quality is so terrible for you. 
Like that's the bigger issue. It's breathing in all the garbage. That's not good. Maybe we have different scales, but the alert on my phone was 120 today. 120. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, like, and yeah, ours in, in Canada, when you get anything past the seven, it's like no go. And we had like, there was, there was a few days where it's 13. Huh. Yeah. So man, I don't know if that's equivalent to 130. I don't know how it works. Yeah, it was uh it was a 13 in New York today. So that's how the scale kind of translates. Okay, I did so go it's golfing. basically the same as what it was. I yeah. went golfing a few weeks ago, Frank, when it was or I guess a month ago now when it was bad in Canada or in Edmonton and it was tough. Like you if you hit your ball too high, you were kind of like, "Ah, I hope that comes down where I think it did." Hmm. Well, it's also the air quality would be brutal, so We'll cancel minor sports and stuff for the kids. Can't yeah, play. kids had indoor recess today. Yeah, so we just hope that, like, fireman's a joke. So uh, for all those firefighters and everybody out there battling with it, uh, hope it clears. And uh, the good news for uh, those listeners in Philly and New York, you know, ours lasted a day or two, and we didn't have any fires right by us, and then thankfully it went away. So hopefully that's the same. But I remember a few years ago in August, and because there was all the BC wildfires, we had smoke like that for two weeks, so hopefully that's not the case for you guys. I think it's a two- or three-day thing and then out. Yeah. Hopefully. So, hopefully. Uh, lots going on in the National Hockey League. We'll get to the Stanley Cup final in a second, but uh, rare to see a three-team trade in the offseason. And the uh, the main piece, of course, Ivan Provorov leaving Philadelphia. He ends up in Columbus. The Kings... Uh, well, he goes through L.A. first because the Kings retain $2 million of his cap hit, and uh, they get uh, out from Cal Peterson. He goes to Philly. Philly gets a first. They get Sean Walker. They get a prospect. They get another second-rounder. Frank, this trade, initially, I look at it and say, hey, I can see why all three parties make the trade. If you have to pick one, who do you like it best for? In order, it would be the Columbus Blue Jackets, then the L.A. Kings, and then the Flyers. And so people are going to hear that and say, man, what, why? Look at how many pieces the Flyers acquired in this deal. They're beginning to turn the page in their rebuild, and they are. But this was such a significant piece to move in the rebuild. I think there's two steps in the process. The teardown, of course, is critically important, and you need to hit on the draft picks that you acquire but on a team that really is lacking talent and skill, there's only so many pieces on your roster that you can trade that have value. Provorov, I would estimate, second to Carter Hart and Travis Konechny, he would have been third in line in that value. So this is a guy that was a number one defenseman a couple years ago, like viewed league-wide. Um, you can go back and, and check out where he stood he was sort of right in line with Zach Wierenski, who he's coincidentally the player that was picked behind him in the draft that year, and now they're going to team up together in Columbus. I think there was a miscalculation in the valuation, either that or there's something about the marketplace and Provorov that he's viewed differently than how I and some other people that I trust would look at his game. Because I think, Jay, one of the truths in the entire NHL, not just um, in Philadelphia or Columbus or anywhere, is I don't think teams have found a way to properly evaluate particularly defensemen on really bad teams. 100%. And I think he's 
every bit as good as he was, but was surrounded with really poor talent. And his metrics suffered, his game suffered, his confidence probably suffered. And he's 26 years old. And my guess is this year, you'll see him back into being a horse. So if you work through the deal, and and I apologize because my thought process here is long-winded. If you had said to me that last week that Peterson and Walker to move off of those contracts for the LA Kings would have cost you a first and a second. I would have nodded along and been like, yeah, okay. Like I $8 million in cap space, multiple years. Uh, the, the Peterson contract is essentially buyout proof. Um, he's an AHL goalie that, Okay, so that's the one part of this. It's a three-team trade, so you have to break it down in, in this this fashion. That's one part of it is the value for taking on those deals. The Flyers got total a first, two seconds, and prospect Helga Granz, who is a five, six, seven if he makes it to the NHL. I, I was told the closest comparable that scouts could come up with was Marcus Nudavara, if that name means anything to you. So if you work your way through this, to only get, depending on what you have left over for taking on those contracts, to only get what you did for Provorov, there's something off here. It's light on either both fronts or one front in particular, and I don't know how it boiled down between the three teams, but... Even since the pick that went from Columbus to Philly, since it originated with the Kings and it originated in the Gavrikov trade, essentially what the Flyers got back for Provorov is the same as which the Blue Jackets got for Gavrikov, and they took on two additional contracts of eight million bucks. So I appreciate where the Flyers are at and where they're heading, but in order to hit on your picks in order for your rebuild to be impactful, you also need to hit on the few pieces of value that you have on your roster. So I I just, I left that thinking they didn't get enough. And in return, I left thinking the blue jackets hit a home run because they didn't give up a ton to get Provorov and the Kings. Meanwhile, cleared off $8 million in space by only technically giving up a second and Helga Grants. Well, it's six mil, right? Because they're retaining two mil of Provorov. So okay, but so so okay, so it's six mil. Either way, they moved eight million dollars in contracts that they didn't have any room for on their team, and everyone knew it. Yeah, no, no. I, hey, I think Columbus is a really good player. I'm with you wholeheartedly. There is one question I would look and say: If you were LA, what if you just would have taken Provorov? And just said, you know what? And then you don't re-sign Gavrikov, but you get Provorov at six mil. And right now you're getting Gavrikov at 5.9 and both have two years because Gavrikov just signed his extension. Obviously they think he's a better defender overall, but to me, you I think, think that's just done that. I don't think there's any chance he's a better defender. I don't think there's one facet of the game that Vladislav Gavrikov is better than Ivan Provorov. Not even close to one facet of the game. Yeah, see, I, I thought Gavrikov was really good for L.A. in the in the Edmonton series and down the stretch. He's a solid defender. Um, he, he fits how L.A. plays. He, you know, he's a little bit bigger, but, hey, I'm a huge Ivan Provorov fan going back to his time in the WHL. He was the best defense, but he was the best player 
in the WHL for a few years. He was outstanding. And, and he's going to age well. He's oh, yeah. East in terms of uh, his workload. He's in peak physical condition, works his ass off. Um, I think there had been some frustration between himself and the team. He wanted to win. He's a competitor. He's not one of those guys that's rah-rah, happy to be here. He shows up to work. This is a it's it's work for him, not a not a joy ride. And so it's not all about hanging with the guys. For him, he he shows up to work and win. Yeah. So I like that trade for Columbus, man. If uh, you know, you you look at they had to improve this offseason. I, I think uh Yarmo Kekalainen, um th- this is to me, hey, Kekalainen, this is last kick at the cat. Yep. Uh, no question in my eyes. He's got to make some hay here. And you know what? That's a really good start to the offseason for Columbus. They're in a real tough uh, conference because you look, people think Buffalo's on the up, Ottawa's on the up, Detroit's on the up. So if they're on the up, that's four spots. That means there's four playoff teams that are going to be on the outside potentially next year. So they got to improve. And I like Proveroff a lot. Uh, I still think they got to do more on their back end, but I like Proveroff and uh, Wierenski is. And now Yurichek. Yeah. David Yurichek's going to be a fantastic player. So. I mean that's three pretty good building blocks for your team. Yeah, but you're a check's a rookie. I don't like if if you have to play a rookie in your top four, Frank. Unless he's Kale McCarr, I think you're asking. He's for playing two. in their top four next year. Yeah. So hey, maybe maybe he surprises me, and maybe he's a surprise. But that's to me. They need a few center. playoff teams have rookies in their top four. We had Aaron Portsline on Daily Faceoff Live today, and he he reiterated that he thinks their next target is a center. And it makes oh, got it. It better be. Well, they're going to get one in the draft at number three overall. But the next step, like, you can't have Boone Jenner centering your top line. No. I like, like Boone Jenner, by the way. Me too. I, I really, he's, he's the prototypical on a really good team, third line center. Oh, yeah. And But on that team, he, you know what? He's your first line center there. If he's your second line center, you can probably get away with it. Uh, a bit for a short period of time for a year, but I like Boone Jenner a lot. The way he plays, he's an unbelievable cap hit too, uh, for what he brings you in value uh, for the next few years in Columbus. So um, now speaking of Philly and the Flyers, you know, right after this trade, there's lots of rumblings about Carter Hart. I just want to say he's not coming to Edmonton. Edmonton does there's there's been zero discussion with Edmonton. I can confirm that. So that's that's not happening. But what are you hearing, Frank, in Philly in regards to Carter Hart and being on the move? Well, they're listening. Um, I don't look. It's we're taping this pod at eight forty-five Eastern on Wednesday night, June seventh. I don't think anything's imminent at the moment. Uh, they're talking to teams, and and that's it's not. It, is it specific to Carter Hart? Yes, but they're fielding calls on everyone on their roster. The only untouchable player, to my knowledge, in the entire Flyers organization is Cutter Gauthier. And outside of that, is there a really, really high price for Travis Konechny? Yes. Is there a high price for Carter Hart? Probably. But everyone else is, everyone's gettable. You know, Joel Farabee to Kevin Hayes to Tony D'Angelo, Travis Sanheim. They're, I don't know if it's quite as scorched earth, tear it down to the studs as Chicago. I I think it's going to be pretty close to that. Maybe not all the way there, but they're, they're draining the pool in Philly. Well, then they got a lot of guys to move, man, because Chicago got rid of everybody. Basically. That's it. Took them multiple years to do it, but they did. Yeah. So now, how do you think Flyer fans will 
Will they be open to a full-on scorched earth rebuild? I think they're like, just like there are other markets that feel the same way, realize that continually trying to mask and put band-aids on your roster, it's, it's, it's self-gratification. It feels good in the moment until you realize that you're just bleeping yourself. <laughs> because it, it's the truth. Like you might be able to put some lipstick on the Flyers roster and really go crazy trying to move your future assets and sneak into the playoffs and hope that you can go on a run. But to have any sort of measurable, sustained success, it's, it's going to take a process of, of years and doing it right. And the Flyers, really since the beginning of the salary cap, haven't been able to properly adjust and do it right. And they've been really lucky to get through a few different spurts with half measures. 2007, they bottomed out. They were maybe the worst team in the league. I think they did finish worst. And they lost the lottery. That was Patrick Kane and James yeah. Van Riemsdyk's the guy they got number two. And they were able to make some really smart free agent signings. Danny Breer, coincidentally enough, one of them. Kimo Tiemann and Scott Hartnell, those guys came in, I think, via trade and then signed long-term deals. Chris Pronger. Like, they were able to reboot in that moment and, and took off and made the final in 10, were one of the best teams in 2011 and 12. And then they got to this period of time, like 2015, where they were kind of like patching over it again. And Ron Hextall came in and said, I'm going to take the time and, and have patience and do this right. The emphasis was on drafting and development. First off, they missed on a bunch of picks. And second, they gave up halfway through. Because there was pressure, obviously, from somewhere, somewhere along the way, saying, we got to turn the corner here. We got to make the playoffs. We got to do something. And it was a half measure. And now they're back in purgatory again for the last couple of years, an unwatchable product that they've had to basically say, you know what? The only path forward is the really hard one. And I think yeah. fans have watched and are smart. This is a really smart hockey market. They're like, we got to do something. Yeah. Yeah. The 2016 draft with the, was it Robesoff and uh, Pascal LaBerge were both uh, first round picks. And, you know, obviously the Nolan Patrick one in 2017 didn't work out uh, uh, the way they wanted. And so, and there's you know, some of their other picks. Nope. There's, you know, I think here's the thing though. Um, unfortunately for them, like someone like Morgan Frost, I think is turning the corner and I think yep. he's going to be a good player in this league, but I don't think he's, going to see eye to eye with John Tortorella at all. And I don't think the timeline is even going to match up now. So Morgan Frost probably going to go somewhere else. Owen will be the Kirby doc of, of that organization. Pro, I mean, some, something somewhere they're going to end up somewhere else where, you know, they're going to totally buy, like you can't, you're not going to be building around Owen Tippett. Now. Yeah. He's probably the one like they really like him in Philly though. I get it. No. He's played hard, but no. it's an interesting spot to be in. They are. They're they're you know what? And I I think the really smart hockey markets get it. You you could you have ever imagined at any point in your career covering the NHL that fans in in Montreal would be 
not just on board, but really excited about their rebuild and what they're doing. That's no. a market that demands to win. Yeah. And, and see, it's interesting in Montreal's rebuild because you got Suzuki and Caulfield and they're just under 8 million bucks a piece, right? Um, they got another high pick now. You know, we got Slavkovsky. You know, we'll, we'll. I thought. I think what Montreal needs to do, Frank, if they're in a rebuild, they need to understand how to develop their young players because they rushed Cock and Yemi. Right now, they ended up getting a first for him and stuff like that. Different but, regime. Yeah, but Slavkovsky. I don't think there's any reason to have him in the NHL last year. Didn't make any sense to me at all. That guy, they should have had that guy in major junior and, and getting used to North America and absolutely killing it for purely just confidence wise. But he, that was the perfect not, time to put him in the AHL all year. He could have been there because he was a European born yeah, no, player. But even, even in the AHL, Frank, the AHL is hard for teenagers, man. And but at least it's in your own backyard. Sure, but keep him in the. What's wrong with playing? They could have just played him in major junior. I think it would have been way better. Like there's lots of major junior guys that are 18 years old at major junior that are drafted and go back like tons of them. So I think that was a big mistake by Montreal and it just, it delays the process. I don't think they've ruined the player by any stretch. It just delays the process. Like how much offensive confidence did he gain this year? None. You don't have to get kicked in the nards. It's such an asinine idiotic thing about, Oh, you got to test yourself. I'm like, what are you talking about? Guys need to have confidence as offensive young players as teenagers. And I don't, I just, the teams at the draft this year, same thing, you know, Bedard's an exception, but I don't think, I don't think there should be anybody else that I would be considering who, uh, who I would want to go play in the NHL right away. I just, I don't, I don't think you're getting a lot of bang for your buck at all on that. It's, I, I get where you're at. I just, I look at what Montreal has done and maybe that one, look, not every process is perfect, but man, they've got some exciting pieces coming. That Lane Hudson, watching him at the, at the worlds. Oof. Yeah, but that's a big if man, small defenders. It's just hard in the NHL. It just is. I, I get it, but there, that's why he went to six, 62 because everyone was like, oh, small, undersized defenseman. I'm not I'm not buying in on that. Yeah, so he's got, like, his skill set. There's no debating his skill set. It's Stop scouting he, with a tape measure. Well, at times it matters, though. Look at the NHL playoffs, dude. Look, you've been on this, and I, I was going to knob you on Twitter uh, because you've been basically saying it for years now as people were making the point, oh, hey, look how big this Golden Knights back end is. You, how many years ago did you write the, the study that you did looking at all of the cup winners and correlating the height? Oh, height and weight, man. And obviously you have skill. You can't just put a, you know, a plug back there. But like Nick Haig was a second-round pick. Right? He's a big mobile defenseman. Petrangelo, elite player, fourth overall. Alex Martinez, like Shea Theodore. Like they've got so much skill and it just helps Tampa Bay. You know, even Colorado. I know they had McCarr and Taves, but Moran got hurt. And, um, and then they had the Johnsons, huge. D Manson comes over, he's huge. And it just matters in today's NHL because guys are so big and so fast everywhere that if you don't have big mobile defensemen, I just don't think you can you can win. Now, you might have Elaine Hudson as a freak. Maybe he's a freak, but it's just hard, man. That's all I'm saying. I hope I hope he, he breaks the mold. It's just difficult to do. Harder for defensemen, I would think, than even forwards. 
And Frank, hey, sticking with Montreal, what's your thoughts on the Cole Caulfield extension? Very similar to Mr. Suzuki. I love it. I think it's such a home run. Getting these guys under $8 million bucks and buying the very best years of their career. I mean, you've got Cole Caulfield now from 22 to 30 in terms of age. By the the best years of a player's career and at I'd say year three, between year three and year four of that deal, the salary cap will have risen to a hundred million bucks. And so they're going to be under 8% cap hits and it's only going to get better and better provided that we don't have another pandemic. And um, there it's, it's, they're going to look really good. Like I don't have any questions about Cole call. I know people will say, well, he's been injured. He's a smaller guy. He might get hurt. Well, first off, anyone might get hurt. Shea Weber, short career, relatively played a thousand games, but you know, could have continued on later and his contract continued on. For instance, guy was a horse. Yeah. I mean, look, no one knows what's going to happen on the injury front. So I don't know that a little guy is any more injury prone than anyone else. Like Johnny Gaudreau is a little guy and he has barely missed any time in his career aside from the, uh, Bobby Ryan like fingers that he has getting whacked every now and again on the hands. Uh, Jacob Chickering, pretty big dude, and he can't. Uh, some guys are just more injury prone, for, and you don't know why. But okay, so let's say you think he's going to be injured, which the Canadians don't. They'd know. You just put him on LTIR and the contract's insured. Like, what's the issue? 100%. Yeah, I've never. If a guy doesn't have a lengthy, like, year after year after year, uh, issue of injuries, I wouldn't worry about it at all. Um, now you piqued my interest. You think in three or four years, we're going up 18 mil in the cap. Well, okay. So not this summer, but the summer of 2024, I'd be very surprised if we're not at over 90 already. All right. So, well, that's, that's music here is the teams. Well, well, that's, that's exactly the point. Cause at some point after this debt is paid off next season, the salary cap relinks and it is back linked to revenue again. And at a, you could do the math today. The NHL, they said last week, is approaching $6 billion in HRR. You can actually go back and do the formula of what that would mean the cap should be at this moment in time, if not for a debt that the players took on because they were paid too much during the games lost during the pandemic. So if not for that, then the cap would be somewhere in the nineties already. It, yeah. I mean, think oh. about it. Yeah. Is this, we're about to potentially enter next year, a fourth straight season of a flat cap. We'd already be in the nineties. Yeah. So, no. so to think by year three or four, probably more likely four, we're at a hundred million bucks of an eight year deal. Well, I'm guessing Mr. Gavrikov is doing the same math projections as you, Frank, because I, I, I can't remember the last time an unrestricted free agent at his age or pending unrestricted free agent, excuse me, opted for a two year deal. You know, it gets good money, 5.9 cap it, but still he only signed for two years. Well, um, He's doing for sure that same projection. He's thinking that two years from now, when the cap's well north of 90, that he's going to be able to cash in based on exactly what we're saying. Top four left shot defenseman 
probably finds himself, you know, in that range of like seven and a half to eight, you would think close to it. So that's his calculation. My only point is that I think it's a bold, it's a bold bet. Yeah. He's in the proper age scheme to do it. I think he'll be 29 when that deals up, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's a br- it's a late bridge deal, Frank. That's what we're going to call it now, a late bridge deal. Yeah, so he also did pretty well to get this in signing bonus, most of it, except for the league minimum, because yeah. the escrow is capped for these next two seasons, so you, you know exactly what you're putting in your pocket. It's not a guessing game, whereas it had been in years past. So that was another really smart thing. And I get the bet. I'm old, You know me. If you've listened to the show, I've been saying forever, bet on yourself. You got to bet on yourself. I, I appreciate that. I just don't know if it's a bet that I would have taken because I also think that he arrived at this year with this free agent class as being the sort of premier crop in a really down year. Yeah. And I'm not a big believer in his overall game because I think he's actually pretty average at most things. And... He, you know, I don't think he's a great defender. Um, I, I, he's, he's known for, he has this reputation of being a physical shutdown defender. And I, I don't think that's the case. Um, he's not even really overly physical. He fit like a glove with the Kings. And I get why they're doing it because they have a log jam on the right side and needed left shot guys. So it makes sense. Um, and the fact that they are limiting it to two years, I think is the biggest win is the, is the Kings. Yeah. See, I, yeah, we, we view Gavrikov a little bit different. I, I thought he was a pretty solid defender. Now, granted, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have paid him much more on a longer term. And maybe that's why well, you wouldn't have, he would have been sub 5 million bucks on a longer term deal. Yeah. So he would have been in like a four, range. seven, five to four, nine range on a five year deal. Yeah. So then if his next deal is only a three-year deal at 5 million, he's still making more money. So I get why he bets on himself, right? Yeah. And look, uh, for him, this is a nice, nice little payday for a guy that was in the twos before. Yeah. Like I've, I've long argued that the NHL players, when you're a UFA, I now teams should avoid it too, but longer term deals, it, it doesn't help a lot of guys. If you're an elite player, you're better off sh- signing short-term three-year deals. Cap keeps going up. Obviously, the last few years was standing, but usually the cap goes up, and you're good. You, you're confident in yourself. And really, how many le- elite guys in the NHL really fall off at 27, 28, 29, 30? Hardly any. So especially nowadays, athletes are in better shape. They're better conditioned. They're better educated. I think more. I don't know. I think there. I think you'd be surprised at what the age curves say. There's a pretty sharp decline, at least statistically, and impact-wise, right around 29. Of elite guys, like I get the mid-tier guys, but is I'm. I guess that's kind of my point. Is I think Gavrikov is a mid-tier guy. Oh yeah, I agree with you. I don't put him as elite for sure. Yeah. So I wouldn't put him as elite either, but like, I just think some of the elite guys that signed like a seven or eight year deal now, like going into the next few summers, I could see why some of them say, meh, three years, four years. I get the teams don't want to do it, but they, they might, Hey, you know what? If your team's still good in three years, the guy's going to resign anyway. Right. The only reason one of the, some of those elite guys leave is because the team just isn't good. There's just like Johnny Gaudreau is standing. There's not many guys like that who up and leave your team. Right, like I know it's Kachuk and Goudreau, 
But how many others really over time have done it? It's a small percentage. That's you're kind of making my argument for Gavrikov for me, because if he was really that good, first off, the Blue Jackets would have had better results. And second, they would have locked him up long term. Look at all the guys that have. And by the way, he wanted to stay in Columbus. Look at all the guys that they've signed to longer term deals. David Savard, go through the list over the years. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they, they didn't really make def- the push. Defensive defensemen who don't bring a lot of offense, that's the one, guys, I'd be very leery of long-term deals. Well, maybe, yeah. I guess my point is they would have, if he was as good as we think he is defensively, they would have resigned him. Yeah. Um, and let's it only it- took two years, by the way. Yeah, yeah, hey, no, two years is good for him. I just, I wonder if we're going to see other guys follow suit with the potential of the cap going up that we'll see more shorter term deals this summer. That's why this Matthews deal this summer is so fascinating. He's already set that trend with the five year deal. If he goes back to the Leafs again and says, I only want to sign for four years or three years or whatever the number is. It might put the Leafs in a world of hurt, depending on what that number is. Well, yeah, yeah I, I would I would hope that Brad Treleving negotiates better. Say, hey, if you only want three years, no problem. But then you're not getting the, the you know, you're not getting a massive significant raise. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Let's bring in uh, Ty Uremchuk. Ty, how you doing? I am doing good, gentlemen. Ready to go here, recording this late on uh on a little Wednesday night, Buy or Sell, brought to you by UFC 289, coming this Saturday to Vancouver, Saturday, June 10th. And it's also available, obviously, on pay-per-view, which is always a great time to sit down, watch a fight with some friends, with the fight on a Saturday night, have a few drinks, maybe place a few friendly wagers. It really is a great way to spend a Saturday night. How many How many Canadians on the card on Saturday? Six Canadians on the card, Frank. Six. It's a lot and, of- uh... That's I, I went to one of not one of the first, but like this is two eighty nine, so like it was in double digits when UFC came to Philly, and it was it was pretty. I don't know if you've ever been to one live, but it's pretty awesome, dude. I I used to do play by I used to do uh, color and play by play for uh, MFC right in Canada <laughs> and into the US, and you know did a few fight cards in New Jersey. I'm telling you, like I was not a big MMA guy at all and mark pavlich one's like hey just come and watch it ringside i'm like all right or cage side whatever you want to call it. and so they actually had a ring so i went and i sat basically like front row and because my first initial introduction to was like the initial ufc where there was no weight classes there was basically no rules it was like just like a barroom brawl pulling hair gouging eyes i'm like this is crazy and i didn't like it but i went and watched it and i was like oh my god like they were tough and being front row to any sporting event. And man, I love doing it for a long time. And so I've been to a few UFCs and to the UFC getting together, Ty, you mentioned like it's, it goes back to me and Frank probably a little bit more of at that age where it was boxing. Like I remember the Mike Tyson pay-per-views and like, I still remember Mike Tyson when he used to come to the ring with that bare skin coat of his on. And he just, you're just like, Oh my God, this guy's going to kill someone. Like it was awesome. I, I, I have no idea who was on the card that night, but I brought my girlfriend at the time with me to the to the UFC event, and we someone comped us row two tickets. Oh, dude, it's unreal! I, there was blood, like literally yeah. splattered everywhere. Oh yes, on our clothes, everything. It was unbelievable. Yeah, no, it's uh, 
It's a different, it's not for everybody. No. But I, it's like, it is, I do think it's a little savage based on oh, a little know, bit but. for sure. But if you can, if you can go close to any sport, I think if you're a sports fan, you'll have a new appreciation of that sport. Doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, I UFC remember, so good. I remember a few years ago, Habib versus McGregor, and like I wasn't a big UFC guy then, but like when that fight came on, it just it gripped the sports world. It was insane when those two went at it. So, anyways, uh, let's get. So speaking of sports world, hold on, hold on. Tyler, he's off to his his softball game tonight after this, and he he was he was pretty excited, Jay, to tell us that he had an unassisted triple play last week. I think it gets... Are you playing shortstop or second? Shortstop. So two guys, runners on first and second, none out, obviously, and a big lefty bat up to hit and slow pitch. So my team shifts over. So I play like two steps to the side of... uh, I'm still on the shortstop side of the bag, but I'm like right next to second base. So I was kind of like sitting there before the pitch thinking like, okay, if it's hit here, I go here. If it's hit here, doing my kind of thing. And then I was like, oh man, if this gets hit hard enough at me, like I could almost just reach out and tag the guy in front of me. And like, sure as shit, the guy batting just hit a stinger up the middle. I grabbed it, tagged the guy in front of me, stepped on second base and fired it to first. So I don't know if that's unassisted because I threw it to first, but turned a triple play, which I've, I've played baseball my whole life. I've never done it. I don't think that's unassisted. Did you chug a beer when you got to the dugout? Oh, well, like, it happened, like, so quick, and I ran into the dugout so fast because I was fired up, and I turned around, and, like, the rest of my teammates were kind of, like, walking off the field. So, yeah, I had a couple seconds in there to sit and enjoy my beer while everyone else came in. I just, like, oh. couldn't believe it. Dude, I'd have been shotgunning it right there. <laughs> it's, like, it's like game over. Let's go. Wait, you guys drink between innings? I can keep one on the bench. Why not? I It's slow yeah, pitch, Frank. I played slow pitch for one season. And unfortunately, our games were always like at Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Oh, that's terrible. And I was like, hey, what are you? Are you in the church league? What the <laughs> hell league are you in? I, all I know is I, we were sponsored by an Irish pub, and that's oh. all I really remember of the entire season. Yeah. Well, so you must have been, yeah. See, I never got buckled playing because it's still, that's when you're going to take a one hopper in the chops. No, yeah, but. No, you yeah, get I, buckled after. Yeah, I get after for sure. I might have the odd time when it was plus 30 out on a Wednesday night and uh, you're just like, it's by the you know, top of the seventh or something. Yeah, I'd crack a beer by then. Why not? Sure. So, so Tyler's dad, Ross, big baseball guy. He would have been really proud. Yeah, he. Uh, oh. Yeah, I wasn't there to watch my men's league slow pitch, but he probably would have been fired up if he saw it in person. <laughs> are you playing at the Memorial Diamonds in St. Albert, or where do you guys play? Yeah, yeah, play down there. So it was cool, right? Because we played the late game that night. So we didn't get going to like under 9.45. The lights. So it was under the lights, too, and I made the play. It was I felt like a real athlete for a Right, it's actually a, a pretty good pretty good ball is- diamond setup. I remember that feel because that's where I first like, – I'm not a home run hitter, but I hit my first ever home run in, in like a provincial final in that uh, – at that park center field, the guys in our team couldn't believe it either. Cause you're only allowed, it was for rules. You're only allowed one home run guy to hit a home run. It's like fifth inning and none of our guys, our big home run guys have hit it. And there's a three run shot to center field. Ooh. And I sprinted around the bases cause I didn't have a home run shot. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> oh, <that is laughs> so I'm, my mind is still blown by the idea that you drink during the game. That's awesome. It's kind of like any sport where you're like drink in hand is my speed. Yeah. But do you walk and how's your groin? Do you walk to the diamond? This is one that's close to your house. Yeah, I walk. It takes me like 
just over 10 minutes to get there from my house. So it's awesome. You can, uh, the park in St. Albert too, there is, uh, is like licensed. So you can have a beer on your walk. It's a nice way to warm up. And yeah, my groin's <laughs> yeah. back to hundred percent. So I'm, and I'm no, need, no need for a Dewey cause you walked. Exactly. So that's good. Exactly. Who are you? <laughs> All right. Well, we do have to get on with the segment cause I got a game to get to tonight. Um, so let's start with this buy or sell. We will see another three team trade this off season, Frank. I'll buy. There's usually one or two, usually for salary cap reasons. Um, so I'll buy. Yeah, Jay? No, I'm buying all day long. I think it's happening right at the draft, too. I think there's there are so many teams up against it, and I think there's more teams, Frank outlined Philadelphia. I think there's more teams now that are willing to go and just admit to their fan base we're doing a legit rebuild. None of this BS about, ah, we're going to be competitive. I think they've realized, you know what? Your fans appreciate it if you be honest about it. They can sell on the future. So, And I think to move some of these players, you're going to have to have salary retention. I asked you guys about this probably like six to eight weeks ago to compare these two players. So I'll kind of do it again here. I'm going to say Trevor Zegris gets an extension that's nearly identical to Cole Caulfield's. Buy or sell, Jason? What's a, this has long been the comp, right? Like, this is yeah. what people have been saying. Like, 22 years yeah, old, no Arbrights this year. Like, the thing about Zegers that I wonder about is just I, how much of his offense is due to the lack of depth around him? Because they're just not that good, right? And uh, that, that whole, you know, the Anaheim, and I don't care who you are. I think after a while, it, it starts to wear on you, right? The difference is, like, Zegers just, he's not much of a, a goal scorer, right? Like, um, Caulfield's got more goals already. I think he's played, like, 60 fewer games. So, I'm going to say he would, but Anaheim has boatloads of cake. So, yeah, that would be the high end. I think he's going to come in maybe closer to, like, 7-5. But going back to the discussion we just had, if you're him, wouldn't you try and do the Matthews thing? Which is like, give me a three-year deal. Give me, I know he's not in that category of player, but give me a three-year deal or a five-year deal, and I want to get to free agency as quickly as I can, while also knowing that I've got enough security now that I'll never have to work again. Yeah, he'd be smart to do it. No question about it. But if you're if you're Zegers, like you're 22 right now, if you took a seven by seven deal, 49 mil. What's the cap in seven years? You're a 29-year-old UFA. Who knows how many good seasons he has? Like you're almost when you're that young and you get the seven-year ticket, you're almost getting the best of both worlds because you're going to get a big free agent card at some point. Yeah. yeah, but think about if he got a five-year deal, which would walk him to free agency. But at that point, and he hits at 27. Yeah, and he's like, I'm 27. I'm at the peak of my powers theoretically, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna cash in with then sign the eight-year deal that takes me to 35 and I sign times 10 mil a year. All of a yeah. sudden, I become a $130 million player for my career. Because the one guy who just signed a contract, too, from that draft class, I think they're two slots apart, Dylan Cousins. Yep. Right? How do you compare? Like, who would you want for the next five years, Cousins or Zegers? Well... Here's the thing about the Cousins contract, and here's the thing about the Caulfield contract, is they had other deals on their team books that the team was able to point to and say, you are not getting a penny above this guy. Nick Suzuki was one. Tage Thompson was one. 
You're like, these players are great players in our organization. Here's what they just recently signed for. You don't really have the ability to ask for any more than that. Get in line. Guess no. what? The Ducks don't have that. Yeah. True, but is is he a guy like like even Jack Hughes is from his draft class and he's only made not only he's making eight mil and he's been a much more productive player. So I, I just don't see how Zegris, if he's going long term, can really command much more. All right, uh, two more for you. The one kind of rumor that's been floating around this week that you guys haven't touched on yet is Alex DeBrincat with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, I'm going to say the best fit for DeBrincat is the Carolina Hurricanes. Frank, you buying or selling on that? I'm going to sell. We talked about the Hurricanes needing a difference maker and a driver. Alex DeBrincat is neither one. Of, he is. He can be a difference maker, but he's not a driver. And I think that's sort of, you know, the big question about DeBrinkett was, how is he going to play when he doesn't have Patrick Kane on his line? And turns out still a good player, but not a force. And I think there's tons of room, obviously, for someone like Alex DeBrinkett in the NHL and on a really good team. He just wouldn't be the guy that I would be trying to bring in. And we also know that, the Hurricanes don't really pay market value. So knowing that he needs the deal, I just, I think it's a bit of a long shot. I'm fascinated by Debrinkat and what happens with Ottawa qualifying offer, everything else. Like he still didn't have a terrible year. Like, no. you know, obviously, you know, defensively they got crushed goals for against, but if you look at his offensive totals, like 27 goals, isn't like an awful season by any stretch of the imagination, 66 points. I look at the Brinkat and like I, I I said it before. I think the Brinkat is a really good complimentary player, and that's there's that's not a knock on him. Like I think he can be a complimentary first line guy, and he needs a wizard like Kane, who's very hard to find, or he's going to need. And, and thing is, Ottawa had some skilled guys like Norris and Stutzel aren't like chopped liver guys. Like those are two pretty good young players. Um, I just, DeBrincat, I don't think he's stylistic fit in to how they play the game. And so I don't think you can bring in a player who's more of a puck possession player and then play dump and chase. I don't really think that works to his benefit. So he's got to go to a team that's a puck possession team. I think he's going to have success. I mean, you know, I mean, racking my brain and, and looking at teams that I, that I think would, would fit for him. And I think there's lots of teams that would like him, but cap wise, it's hard to fit him in. That's the challenge. Yeah, with that with that qualifying offer, uh, and then the last one. So I got, I'm going to sell though. I don't think Carolina. I don't. I don't think that moves the needle. That's not what they need. It's not a big enough impact guy on offense, is what you guys are saying. Makes sense. Uh, all right, last one I got for you. It's tied into the Senators as well. Uh, right now, I think the two goalies they have under contract for next year are Anton Forsberg and Mads Sogard. I'm going to say they go out and get one of the big name goalies on the market this summer. Jason, you buying or selling? <sighs> I wonder if they're going to be leery after uh, what happened with the Talbot trade and Gustafson, right? That some people felt like they gave up on him. Goaltending is tough, man. And um, Mad Sogard, that guy's been a really good goalie back to his Medicine Hat Tiger days. And now he's young; it's asking a lot. Like, are you is Winnipeg? Are you are you talking like a Debrinkat for for Hellebuck type of trade here? Oh, I'm not saying Winnipeg like a straight up trade. I'm saying like maybe you get the assets from Debrinkat and use them for a goalie, or you go sign one of the bigger names on the free agent market, like a Jari. 
Yeah, Jari's an interesting one. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to sell. Didn't they just get a goalie from Pittsburgh that had health issues and yeah. signed to a long-term deal with lots of money? Yeah, but what are yeah, the odds? Gonna... Two of them don't work out in a row. Uh, have tell. you seen Jari's injury name. report? I would say probably pretty likely. Um, so you're selling. No. I'm going to buy. But the hard part about answering this question is I don't know who their GM is. Mm, that no. makes sense. So well, here's, the, here's my one caveat, Frank. Would Anaheim want to debrink at Gibson? Would there be any appetite for either one? I'm not sure there is, but that's the one goal because I don't see why Winnipeg's doing it. They got a lot of wingers. I don't. Winnipeg's going to need centers. So John Gibson sense. has a ten team no trade, and my I would bet you that at Ottawa least six, if not seven, of the Canadian teams are on that yeah, list. That's fair. That's a good point. Um, but what about like? Why do you have to go crazy? Like, why wouldn't Corpusalo make a lot of sense there? Why wouldn't Semyon Varlamov make a lot of sense there? So like, saying, you don't need to go absolutely insane on term and dollars. So you're saying they don't no. go the tier 1A, they go for the tier 1B kind of guys? I, I think so. I think you do that and then see which one of your other guys – takes takes the job because like Forsberg signed for the next couple of years and Forsberg's numbers they were just okay this year above league average but a year ago 46 games 917 like no issue whatsoever so um I don't know I'd be between one of those you know sort of next rung down guys and and Forsberg I'd be like yeah sure yep seems yeah. reasonable all right, there you go. That's your wrap for uh, buy and sell, buy or sell. Brought to you by UFC 289, headlined by Nunez versus Aldana this Saturday at the Rogers Arena in Vancouver and in your living room on pay per view. I like it. Good little uh, UFC card. Nothing wrong with it. And uh, also uh, starts the uh, four day stretch here. Frank, we got an NBA tonight, NHL on Thursday, NBA Friday, NHL. On Saturday, man, Miami. If you're you got uh, NBA and NHL finals at the same time, that's crazy. They just signed Messi to uh, Inter Milan. Man, you're in Miami for a few days. God, that's the place to party. That's all I would say. I would want to be there just for the party over the next four days. If you're in Miami and you're a sports fan, you are making your pants messy. Oh. <laughs> okay. On that one, Frank, you're out. Uh, tip your waiter, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. When we read you, we read kindle our our conversation on monday will the stanley cup have been awarded no i don't think it's going to be a sweep okay panthers are going to win one they they were pretty like i thought they were really good in game one they got an o-class in game two but i thought game one they're pretty close so I, they'll find a way to win a game here in florida but they're not coming back and winning four out of five i don't think Agreed. i'd be very surprised if that happened very surprised. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.